Greetings, everybody. It's your brother, son, in Esperance, again, at the I Thrive Podcast. Brothers and sisters, man, the, 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 the international convocation, I, I must say. <laughs> it was something good, my God, my God. You know, you had your tired moments. But it was just wonderful. Um, you know, from all the way through, from Thursday to Sunday, the fellowship, you know, the meet and greet, uh, TEEC's exit strategy and the other activities that were going on, it was it was wonderful. I, I hope that, you know, those of you that weren't able to make it, you're able to make it in December. It's going to be at the same location, North Carolina, uh, Greensboro, North Carolina. But it was just... The, 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 it was it was such an undeserving time because I don't deserve something so good, but it, it was wonderful. But with that being said, today um, I got our sister Thea Cobb uh, out of California. Mm-hmm. Perfect, perfect. So how are you doing uh, this, well, this afternoon for you? Because I believe Cal of Cali is like three hours behind for Eastern time. So how's things going for you so far today, sis? Oh, quite well. I, I'm really grateful to the Lord I woke up today. Wonderful. <laughs> That's wonderful. That's wonderful. That's great to hear. Um, we have our sister from. Uh, are you born and raised in California, or? Yes. Okay, yes. born and raised in Cali. So we have born and raised in Cali. We got Cali in the house over here today, or in the building, as you should say. Uh, I'm truly grateful and thankful to be able to have our sister today. As I say, moreover, brothers and sisters, it, it's truly, it's an honor and privilege to be able to get testimonies of the saints, you know, continuously. I'm truly grateful for it, as well as the ones watching as well. And I want to keep on going. I want to keep on pushing these testimonies out there. So Lord will, those of you who have put your name down on the list, I will get to you uh, as soon as ASAP, ASAP. And then, you know, those of you who want, once again, maybe you, if you have a, a younger person in the household or somebody to show you, those of you, if you want to reach out to me, everything is in the description below. Description, not the comment section. Description. There's a, there should be an arrow pointing down. You click that. It should give you everything. Where to find me on Instagram, Facebook, uh, uh, email, you know, the Spotify, everything. So I don't know why um, those are saying it's hard to get in contact. Everything is there. But um, with that being said, before we get into the podcast, as usual, you already know this podcast affiliates itself with one church and one church only. That is First Church of Our Lord Jesus Christ with a leader, teacher, and guide is Apostle Pastor Gino Jennings. Also, if you want to be baptized right, in the name of Jesus Christ, you go on truthofgod.com, click locations, see which locations is closest to you, and make the call, and then uh, Lord willing, that baptism can be set up. If you're looking for a church to go to, if you're looking for a first church to go to, same thing, truthofgod.com, click locations, see what location is closest to you so you can attend. Now, to clarify the reason why I say this podcast affiliates itself and not sponsored, because um, sponsorship is when you're being paid. Um, in terms of doing something, First Church does not pay me to do this podcast at all. I'm not making any money uh, um, from First Church to do these podcasts. So that's why I say affiliated with. This is, it's only a First Church podcast. So meaning all of you coming from falsehood that have a desire to share your testimony, I can't share it here because it's for those who came out of the world and into God's church. You understand? So that's just to clarify uh, that if I have any new listeners 
This is not a Christianity podcast. This is a God first podcast. This is a holiness podcast. And uh, it, it's, it's God owns this podcast to say. Um, reason why I say it's not a Christianity podcast is, as you see, it's people coming out of uh, forms of Christianity, Baptist, apostolic, and all this type of other stuff, and not be and 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 not under the umbrella of Christianity. So that's why this podcast it's a God first podcast, not a Christianity podcast. If you want to know more about it, you can go on the ithrivepodcast.com to get more information. Don't forget, if you want to know more about First Church, just go on YouTube. You can type in, I, I would type in Geno Jennings because you have a lot of nonsense false churches out there. They're trying to put very similar names to First Church. So just put Geno Jennings and you should see that come up. Also, do not forget, let's not forget to keep the apostle and his family in prayer, the faithful ministering brethren and their families in prayer, just the same. And let's not forget to keep one another in prayer, brothers and sisters. As I say moreover, so many of us, we go through things that we don't know, depression, anxiety. Some may want to backslide. Some may want to kill themselves. Some may want to kill somebody. I don't know. Let's just continue to keep one another in prayer. It's important. We don't have to really know all of each other's names, but let's just continue to keep one another in prayer. Um, but that being said, before we begin, I first, as always, give thanks to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for all that he's continued to do for me in my life. I don't deserve anything from God. As I say moreover. I'm just a wicked soul that God allows and gives an opportunity to get right with him. I give double honor to, to the former prophets and apostles of old, as well as double honor to our present day leader, teacher, and guide, Apostle Pastor Gino Jennings, and honor to the faithful ministering brethren who are laboring along the apostle, doing the baptisms and, and help spreading the word and keeping wherever they are, the temples under the sound doctrine of holiness and not trying to turn it away. I'm truly, truly thankful for the faithful ministering brethren because as, as you know, the apostle cannot be everywhere at once. So I'm grateful for that. And those of you, of course, that you have your works in the church as ushers, security, all that stuff. I'm grateful for you all who are doing it faithfully. You understand? Because it's, these, these things need to be done. Security. I want to give um, a wonderful thank you to security at the convention. Look like y'all upped it. Y'all upped y'all game now. And for those of you who felt to be offended or so forth, this needs to be done. The apostle, he is loved by many, but he is also hated by many. Like there's people that want to see this man dead. There's people that, that are waiting for the day he dies. You understand? So do not be upset if security has to check you every time you are trying to come into the temple. It's, it's protecting us, but it's protecting the apostle as well. So the security team, thank you very much for doing a fantastic job. Keep it up. You know, like, like whatever you have to up, keep up in it. Like brothers and sisters, they were checking ministers that was on the pulpit as well. So don't they? Oh, who do they think they are? They were checking as like almost everyone. You understand? So very thankful for it all. All right, I'm going to get out of the way. We're gonna get our testimony from our sister Fia Cobb. So sister Fia Cobb, tell us how God brought you out of the world and into the truth of God. Well. I guess I'll start with um, what I grew up, excuse me, what I grew up in. Um, my mom always told me the story when she was around four years old. She believed that the Lord spoke to her to look into the phone book. And she said she ended up turning to um, a page for St. Paul's Episcopal Church. And she ended up getting baptized there at the age of four. My atheist grandmother was helping her to get there safely and from her um, awareness and understanding, she said that was why we were Episcopalian. 
so, oh goodness, you know, I, I grew up in the church, the Episcopal church, it's actually called Trinity Episcopal. So if that doesn't make it any evident, uh, they are Trinitarians. Mm -hmm. So I was baptized as an mm -hmm. infant there as the Episcopal church has a lot of the same practices as the Roman Catholic church. They also partake in the seven sacraments. So all of those things were actively done at the church. I ended up leaving at around 12 years old after serving as an acolyte, which is basically like an altar boy, but you can be a girl or a boy doing this. And you're basically helping the, the uh, priest, pastor, I, I'm not sure, I don't remember what they called themselves, but you help them in what's called a procession down the aisles. It's kind of a weird showy thing where you're holding like, whether it be lit candles or the gold cross, everything's gold, like mm. decked out in gold. And um, as pastor says, you know, that the, the priests are wearing really embellished, like very gaudy robes. Mm -hmm. um, so I was in that from the age of 12 and I left because they were attempting to initiate me into the church in what's called the 13th right mm -hmm. and essentially at the age of 13 you are to dedicate your life to the church by writing a letter like explaining as to why you are committing your life to this church and you're basically willingly moving forward with the remainder of the sacraments you haven't yet done which includes like going on a mission trip and feeding the hungry and healing the sick and getting married in the Episcopal church. Like it's very, interestingly enough, it's very culty yeah. at the place that I used to be. Um, and one of the main reasons I didn't realize I really needed to leave there is this church was a very big supporter of the occult of magic of witchcraft but they've tied it up in a really beautiful you know accepting bow so I actually went back to this church you know uh, a little while ago and it was a very strange feeling I was asking the Lord for protection I made sure not to go into certain buildings because I knew what kind of experiences I could have so I I kept my distance but it reminded me of what this labyrinth is like this stone circle and it's made into a pattern that you can walk from the outside to the inside. And essentially, you know, I took a photo of this. I don't recall exactly the reason they claimed, but you can basically walk any sort of which way on the path and it all ways lead to the center, basically alluring to the fact that you can take any sort of path you want and it leads to the unifying force, which they believe is God. Okay. It's and really weird. inside of church? It's outside. It's it's amongst a bunch of redwood trees, redwood. right in front of the doors of the church. Yeah, it's quite strange. Oh, so that was something we did. Okay. So what, oh, what, what's like the? Okay, we know it's like Trinitarian, but what's like the other beliefs of this Episcopal? Or that? Sure, sure. So, along with believing that there are three gods, mm -hmm. um. They are really initially undercover, but recently, I'd say in the 2000s, when I was little to now, really big supporters of the rainbow mm -hmm. alphabet community, the mm -hmm. LGBT community, mm -hmm. because 
Now, I'm not going to say that these people were married because I don't have confirmation of such a thing, but I do know they were actively living as a lesbian couple and a gay couple. So two men together and two women together. The two women had short hair. One of them dressed like a man. The two men, they dressed like men, but one of them, now I don't really know exactly what his position was, but he wore this strange kind of uniform that almost looked like some sort of security that's a part of the parish. So they were very active supporters of this, but kind of on the down low. Like they weren't openly saying, let's get you married when I was there at least, or let's like have a unifying ceremony, but they weren't talking about it. They weren't addressing it. They were openly allowing these people to be involved in the church. So that was a really big thing. That was part of why my whole life growing up, I thought that was perfectly fine because I saw it in the church that I grew up. Wow. And those people you saw it from, they were the ones like, like uh, running like the priest or pastors in the church or? No, 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 no. Nothing that extreme at the church I attended. I can't speak for others, but I can say for both the one that I grew up with as in single digits. And I think his name was Pastor Jim, who's the most recent uh, pastor there. I don't know if he still is there, but they never spoke about it. They never addressed it. They never walked up to these people and addressed Mm -hmm. the sin that they were living in. It was just kind of, um, quietly accepted now i'm sure the older people weren't having it but they didn't really have a say because they're not in charge of the church and so at that in time fact, of course yeah go ahead go ahead please go ahead i'll remember what i have to say <laughs> no because i was going to say so from that time you know seeing that um i believe you said like you accepted it because at the time you didn't know it was something um wrong that you shouldn't have accepted so from not accepting it what was like your next steps from there or from from accepting it pretty much um i was a bit nervous to share this but i think it's kind of relevant because i don't hear enough people talking about the dangers of this Mm -hmm. but for me i think that exposure my mother's comfortability with a lot of her friends um being whether it's gay or lesbian or bisexual mm-hmm. uh and even her um stepbrother my grandmother's second husband's biological son being a homosexual and growing up with him as a teenager along with an interesting thing her own uncle was a gay man like he was very open about being a gay man this was like in the 50s okay mm-hmm. but he had long hair flowing down his back he even went as far as to get fake breasts and long fingernails and she said when she was a little girl she remembered playing a princess fairy or something like that fairy princess with him so a lot of the stuff that she grew up with and the people she was around it even more encouraged me to think okay it's fine Mm. but um I think that along with the people I was around and a really unfortunate well I won't say unfortunate but a really sad and damaging experience that I had uh, when I was around, goodness, I think I was three or four. I can't remember the age. It's kind of blurry. Um, I was I was molested by a, a, another child. Oh, wow. He he was only a couple years old, and he was only about six or six or so years old. And he was molested by his own babysitter, which my mom was aware of. I mean, she mentioned it to his parents. His parents weren't really, you know, um, acknowledging it because they kind of didn't want to believe that it was happening. 
but it was a kind of molestation that when we were caught, I was blamed for it. Oh. I'll put it that way. I'm not going to go into any details, but mm-hmm. I was blamed for what happened. And there was a lot of shame associated with that because the two friends of hers um, that I grew up with that she actually had amongst many, me call them aunt and uncle, kind of ostracized me. And later on, when I was about 10 years old, when it was his birthday, she went as far as to make a cake for him, brought it to their house. And I, I sat in the car feeling like it was hours and hours long, traumatized, terrified, thinking he's going to corner me and do something. Mm-hmm. But to reverse back to when that happened, I was affected. I believe this. I can't say for certain, but I don't think it's at all happenstance that following that, I started to manifest in part because I still always had an attraction to males, but the spirit of confusion and homosexuality, because from that point, I thought I was what I later on came out as bisexual. You know, I had experiences with little girls when I was young, growing up, I had experiences with girls my age or young women, teenagers. So I believe that from that age until I was in my twenties, like early twenties, um, And it caused a lot of shame in a different way than I was hopeful it would. Because if my mom had taught me the truth about the Bible, I Mm -hmm. I probably wouldn't have felt so strange about it. But it was more of the fact of I was terrified my mother would hate me because I didn't choose to either be completely straight or heterosexual, you know, as God made us to be, or to be gay. So for many years, I was convinced, like, you know, this doesn't make sense. My mom's going to think I'm crazy or weird because I'm, I believe that I was attracted to both sexes. Mm -hmm. And it caused a lot of issues um, in my life growing up because I was, like, uncomfortable around um, other girls and I would feel, like, attraction to them and I, I, like, wouldn't know how to manage it. But, um To basically go back to when I was in the church, something that still horrifies me is they would actually, and this is in Sunday school, they didn't do this in the actual church building, but in Sunday school, they would relate Harry Potter books to scripture in the Bible. Um, as, As far as to the point as having us use a fake sorting hat and be sorted into the one of the four quadrants of that, you know, wicked sort of fantasy, uh, you know, uh, we were shown how to make wands and basically pretend, like pretending, playing dress up, acting like we're witches and, and wizards. Mm-hmm. And um, that, along with a lot of the media that my mom exposed herself to, you know, a lot of her favorite television shows involved werewolves and vampires and witches. And it was seen as acceptable because she was very interested in that kind of world. And I watched it from as young as a toddler. So in the back of my mind, the idea about practicing that stuff, even, even though it, it, it was never to that extreme, it, it made it seem acceptable, just like the other things that, I was kind of pulled into that had a strong hold on me. Um, 
also, you know, growing up believing I was attracted to males and females, growing up believing, you know, magic was perfectly acceptable to do, um, having a birthday in October, thinking Halloween's fine to celebrate. It, it was as far as I was in a sort of, this is weird because I don't think any other town has this, so this should say a lot. In my town, there's this, um, this play musical rather that happens every year uh called witchy poo okay it's 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 it says it in the name um it's the uh basically about this witch it's kind of strange and you know does magic but it's the classic like depiction of a witch green kind of terrifying looking you know when i was inculcated into that i was I was a part of that every year until, let me think about this. I think I was 10 or so, 10 maybe. And uh, yeah, it was as far as, you know, I was so obsessed with being a witch or a vampire that I would dress up like it every year for Halloween. Um, I actually dressed up as a vampire, a variation of a vampire for like three years straight. It was like that serious. Like I, I, I fantasized about being a vampire. It was horrible. Um, so that was something along with everything else that made magic seem fine. And later on in my life, as a young teenager, I think I was 18 or 19, I started like researching that. I'm sorry, let me, let me find <laughs> kind of, I feel like I'm going all over the place. So, so. Throughout that time in my life, I think from the time I was harmed and had all that confusion, um, I struggled with depression. I don't know how young I was when it started, but I can remember that the first time I tried to, to kill myself was when I was 10 years old. Now, my mother initially when it happened mm. she she didn't want to acknowledge it and now the reason I remember doing it going further back into my history but not going into too many tangents because that's not necessary I was raised by a single mother my father died a couple months before I was born None of his parents were alive, so I didn't know anyone on his family. He was an only child. And according to my mom, by human standards, I wasn't really supposed to live. So something she always enforced in me, at least from a young age, is if people didn't believe that God was real, if they heard the way I came into this world, they would believe it. So to sum it up, like, I, my mother was told to abort me. Um, when I was a baby and uh, she fought for me, even though they were, they were trying to convince her all the reasons why I shouldn't be alive. Like, you know, being handicapped or mentally retarded or um, developmentally delayed as is what's politically correct now. Um, and so many other things. She said, it doesn't matter to me. She's a psychologist. She worked at a developmental center. So she said, you know, if it's that extreme, she'll live with me at my job. I'm not giving up on her. 
Um, my husband's dead. There's no way for me to have a child. I'm not, I'm not going to, from her words, I'm not going to depend on immaculate conception, just something she always laughed about. Kind of strange. So she had a very deep attachment to me from a young age. And amongst that, I look very much like my father. So she says often when she looks at me, she sees my dad which is kind of sad because it kind of loops into the sort of longing and sadness for someone that I could never know, never meet, and let, may very well never, ever know or meet, um, at least as he was as a human. Um, so yeah, I actually tried to kill myself because I believe that if I killed myself, I would be with him, um, the twin brother that died a month before me, and all the other people in my family that were dead that I was just missing so much. And later on, when I addressed that with my own mother, she couldn't acknowledge it right away. Like she didn't want, it. maybe she blocked it out. But that was the first time I tried to kill myself. And she, she chalked it up to hormonal depression because I developed very young. So at that age, I already had my monthly cycle and she kind of said, oh, it might be because, you know, whenever I was your age or when I, well, not my age, but whenever she was young and she had um, that time of the month, she would be really, really depressed. I know this is the same thing too, but later on, I can say um, my depression was really seriously addressed. Um and so depression was something I faced seriously and it got really, really bad when I was in high school. Um, I think it was a combination of the pain, like not knowing how to deal with people dying, being used to people dying, but not really understanding why. Feeling like because at that point in high school, I wasn't in any sort of church seeking God in any way, really blaming him for it. But in a way of like, it doesn't make sense that you would do this. Like, it doesn't make sense why you would take these people away from me. Like, it feels like you just want me to be sad all the time. And I didn't, I didn't have any understanding of the real reason. I may never fully understand, but it caused me in my heart to really have deep anger, not just towards the Lord, which I repented for because I just realized it was misguided, but towards my mom, towards just like the world in general. And um, there was a lot of animosity and a lot of um, disrespect I showed my mom because in a lot of ways, growing up with her, I felt like she wasn't there for me in a way that she was supposed to because she was still traumatized from everything she went through from her childhood from her her husband dying from me being the kid that she never thought would make it and having so much pressure um and for a long time our relationship was really in shambles because of so many factors, you know, um, her kind of uh, both being strict in some ways, 
like maybe uh like I said I developed young she 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 would tell me to cover up but of course I still wore jeans or you know I could wear a shirt but it might be a little lower cut than it should be or you know things like that so but then as I got older it was like okay well you're you're 16 you're 17 now it's acceptable to dress like a woman I don't Mm -hmm. know but in a very whorish way Mm -hmm. and I really was happy about that because I can say honestly in secret I did disobey my mom Mm. like when I was young and she was forcing me oh you can't you can't wear a bikini like the girls in your grade because you're 12 or 13 or you can't dress this way or wear this kind of skirt or that like I I would bring stuff to school and change into it so she wouldn't know and then change back or an example is we went to this beach birthday party I was supposed to wear like a tankini bathing suit but I brought something instead that was basically a bikini um because I really just wanted to be accepted and in a way she was trying to protect me because she was scared of people preying on me um and uh I didn't really realize how vulnerable I was so throughout my life growing up I had a lot of issues with knowing how to deal with how I looked as a girl but being perceived as an adult and I kind of I kind of address that in a wrong way um I harm myself I, I, I wouldn't say that I was like a cutter or something but I was like really destructive like when I was having like really bad depressive episodes I would like bang my head against the wall until it was red or like I'd take like a rubber band and I'd snap it till I was bruised or I'd like smack myself as hard as I could in the face if I was like freaking out. And um, I actually ran away. I think twice. I can't remember the first time, like how old I was, but I know I ran away and then I came back because I had to go to the bathroom and I didn't trust going into a stranger's house. (laughs) So I said, oh, let me just go back. You know, I'm over it. It's been a couple hours. And it was always after like a big blowout fight because this is like hard to say. Um, My mom, I know she loves me. I know she cares for me. I know that she wants the very best for me but she is very damaged and hurt inside. And seeing as um, both of her parents are narcissists, she maybe with lack of awareness is one too, or I guess I could say more appropriate, she, she has narcissistic tendencies. You know, I'm not a doctor, I'm not gonna try to diagnose her with anything. Um, and then on top of that, she has serious depression. Mm-hmm. So most of the time throughout my life, she wasn't the kind of mom who like beat me or something. But if I did something that was wrong, she would like spank me, you know, to let me know. And she said every time she felt horrible, she would cry about it. She like didn't know why she did it, but she just knew she had to do it. So growing up, I, because of the anger I had towards her about a lot of stuff we went through, I intentionally did stuff to make her angry 
because I wanted to like get vengeance. So this stinks because I I still I still feel so sad for the person I was. My mom is what she calls the old hippie. So, and I live in California. So marijuana is all around you. And the first time I caught her doing that, I think I was four. But I thought it was, there was a skunk in the house or something. Like, I didn't get it. And, you know, she, she told me later on, she told me what she was doing. But from my recollection, I mean, I could be wrong. I'm not trying to say I'm right. But from my recollection, she never, like, openly said that's what she was doing. She just kind of was like, it's her medicine. Mm-hmm. That's what she would tell me. So from when I was 12, I'd be angry. Like, I'd be like, oh, if you do that, you're lazy. Mm-hmm. You're so, um, you're so, um you just have no motivation. Like, I can't believe you do that. Cause I've always been active. When I was little, I grew up, I was a dancer from the age of three. Mm-hmm. I started martial arts at age three. I got, uh, I got my black belt at, at the age of 12. So I, I was very dedicated to activity. And my mom was in support of that because she knew it would, as she said, keep me off the streets and out of trouble. Um, but also because I was always a very active wiggly kid and she knew it would kind of focus the energy I had in a, in a positive way so um at that age I was really kind of just I had a lot of animosity for that but then the tables turned and I was 14 the first time I tried it but nothing happened so I kind of forgot about it and I was 15 when I really started Sorry to say for all the people that want to tell themselves if you're a pothead, you're not addicted, but became addicted to this substance, marijuana. And um, it was kind of mild at first where, oh, my friends are hanging out with me. We'll do it. And then it became a thing of, oh, I have to buy it for myself. Oh, I have to do it today after school or I have to do it um, in the morning before I go to school so I can get through the day. And then it became, oh, well, I have to do it in the morning. And then at lunchtime, I'll do it. And then after school, I'll do it too. And then when I go to sleep, to sleep better, I'll do it. And it just got out of control, like. And that's all in one day. No, 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 I'm sorry. That sounds confusing. I'd say it really escalated over that year of me 15 to 16. Because I think I started in the summer. So how often yes. would you smoke that a week? Oh, that would have been nice if it was just once a week. Um, at its worst, I'd say it was probably multiple times a day. Multiple times a day. Like at least three times. If I didn't do anything that day, like if I didn't have school or anything, probably four times. I might be I might be completely high the whole day. Like. And this is day after day. It's mm-hmm. not like you would smoke four times on Monday. You possibly would smoke three or four times on Tuesday, then Wednesday, then Thursday, yeah. then Friday, then Saturday. Yeah. Wow. yeah. And uh, that activity got me into a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. People don't talk about this, but any sort of substance that alters your state of awareness mm. is dangerous. Because your inhibitions are lowered. You're more likely to do stuff you probably wouldn't if you're sober. You're more likely to say stuff you probably wouldn't if you're sober. Um, And so that got me to spend time with a lot of sketchy people. It got me to 
do a lot of things and and put myself in positions that were really horrible because I struggled with dealing with how I looked and the feelings I felt from a young age. But then with that, with marijuana included in that, I started to have issues. We'll just sum it up in short with promiscuity. So explain what promiscuity is for those who don't understand. Okay. So promiscuity is essentially sexual experimentation on a really extreme level where you're seeking it out intentionally. Mm. Usually, and I'm saying this usually because most of the girls and, and young women I spoke to growing up when we were in the same kind of position, it was really a symptom of I'm trying to look to feel something. Mm. I'm trying to look for someone to care about me in those however many seconds or minutes or whatever that I'm spending time with somebody. Really that void, that deep, like cavernous, like wide hole that's inside of you of darkness. And you keep trying to fill it with stuff. You keep trying to fill it. Oh, I'll smoke some more weed. Mm. Oh, I'll just have that time with this guy that I think is cute or that gives me some attention and maybe I'll feel better. And you feel better for that little chunk of time. And then you feel 10 times worse after. So you keep piling and piling, piling more stuff, more stuff, more stuff. And I would say to this day, I deeply feel for the kind of emptiness I had. Because if I could go back in time and talk to myself I would explain exactly why that's the most horrible idea I could have ever had. Um, because sadly, having that kind of horrible habit that got out of control, just like smoking weed, put me in position to be raped. Not only once, not only two times, but three times. And Aside from that, just being in, in scenarios that I didn't have the ability to really get myself out of because I was so high. And, and if you can, I mean, you don't have to go in like the detail, what, but explain to us, because this, this has to be spoken about because weed is, um, you know, a drug that is so lowly spoken about like it's more so no weed can't make you do this type of stuff it's going to be alcohol or coke or crack or all type of heroin and ecstasy and uh, percocets and fentanyl and all that, that type of stuff um but you know your prime example of what weed um can get somebody to do or the situations it can put somebody in because uh, everybody has different reactions to weed so if you can explain to us or expound to us you know how um the weed and you know those moments got you in those positions like you know was it a setup was it a trusting thing you know that type of stuff you don't have to go into detail like what the person did and stuff like that but how because it's important because sure. now today you know it's it's like a you could find that easy like in back back when like long time for myself you couldn't just find weed like that but now today it's like, you know, a water bottle at the, the, the gas station or grocery store 
or so forth. And it's something that needs to be spoken about because you have a lot of weed smokers. They, they're so for it, but they don't know the realities of what it can actually do to somebody. So expound to us how, you know, um, you got in, like you got into those positions where, you know, you were raped and uh, so forth. Well, the really sad thing is when you're really dependent on something and you're used to doing it and you're used to how it makes you feel, you have this really warped idea that you can just kind of handle stuff if it's thrown at you and not really get into bad situations. And what I'd say is worse than that is you get into those bad situations, but then you you kind of brush it off. You're like, well, it was my fault or well, I just wasn't thinking or I wasn't aware enough. Of course you weren't aware enough. You are at a point where your reaction time delayed. So you can't even properly like defend yourself like you would if you were sober or you can't properly, in my case, sometimes I would struggle to speak if I was that high. And then it, you know, mixed in with the kind of fear you would have in a situation where someone's trying to overpower you. And in the cases I had, you know, you you don't really know this person or, you know, you might know them, but, you know, you don't know them well enough to really understand what lengths they might go to get what they want. And if you're already at a point where, you, you, you can't even think straight. You're having trouble speaking clearly or speaking at all. You might even be like walking kind of oddly or, you know, how are you going to properly be able to get help? When you're in that extreme situation, let alone like you're in a so-called amicable, like, you know, a mutual situation. And then you decide maybe this is too much for me. This is overwhelming. I don't want to do this right now. So it gets you to a point where you're scared. You're also mentally impaired. Your 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 mind's not at its normal functioning. That you I'm trying to find the right words. You can't help yourself you're helpless um and i would say something not enough people have a awareness of because i i I don't like saying the fact that there are harmful bad people but it's the truth not just us who are wicked meaning all of us but people who intentionally do things to like premeditate stuff there have been times where I've had, you know, sessions, they call it a smoke sesh, you know, where you're hanging out with someone, you pee some weed, you have some of whatever weed they have, they give it to you. And then you realize after something's not right. Like there were points where I'd, I'd done it for so long. I'm with someone. I had what they had. I'm like leaving and I'm sitting here like, no, like something else is in this. But I was hesitating, like, maybe it's just really strong or mm. yada, yada, yada. But then I I think 
and sit there and say, no, like that wasn't just what I thought it was something else was in it. I have no idea what, but people lacing weed, it, it may sound, you know, out there, but it's real and it's really dangerous because I'm just grateful to God that like nothing horrible, horrible did not, like I'm like on the side of the road somewhere, mm -hmm. like just out. And another thing people don't want to talk about is weed, especially if you were in the headspace like I was where my mom's a so-called hippie. So I'm kind of, oh, well, this kind of lifestyle school where you're just kind of hanging out, zoning out, you're just this whole peace and love and just care about everybody and, mm -hmm. you know, da, 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 kind of just aloofness. Mm -hmm. You're just kind of, oh, whatever, it doesn't matter. It gets you into an interest of other drugs. So I wasn't just doing weed at a certain point. I've done acid. I've done shrooms. I even I even had done uh, hard drugs. I've even done uh, cocaine before. Um, and it, I say it's an addiction because it was at a point when I was younger, I tried tobacco. My mother caught me doing it. She was honestly more angry about that than the weed because she was doing it herself. She was smoking weed herself. She was mad about the, mar uh, about the marijuana, but she was mad about the tobacco because a lot of my relatives had been really addicted to it, to tobacco. So she was freaked out that I would become addicted. And then later down the road, it ended up happening, but not in the way she might have expected. So when I was about 18 in California at the time, if you were 18, you could get a medical card legally. Mm -hmm. You just had to give them some sort of reasons as to why. And obviously there's not a real doctor. It's like some guy with a lab coat on <laughs> and you tell them, oh, I have headaches. Um, I, have, uh, I have trouble eating. I don't have an appetite. Or for me, I was diagnosed with ADD when I was like 10 years old, nine or 10 years old. So I was like, I have ADD. I need something to help me focus. You know, all these reasons that sound fine to them i have insomnia i have trouble sleeping they'll say okay we'll give you a prescription for it you're good it's good for a year i started driving at 17 and a half so at this point i had been doing it for years and my mom was concerned about me smoking marijuana not to do it but because she was scared i would get into an accident being on this stuff so she started drug testing me or as she said, pee testing, but I'm not going to say the bad word she used, pee testing me about once a week. And if you know how marijuana works in your system, it will not get out within a week, let alone a couple of days. Like you're, you're not going to have any, uh, any, um, you know, green lights with that, we'll say. So I stopped smoking it because I was being drug tested every week. So what did I do? Because I had friends who were old enough. At this, at this point, tobacco, you have to be 21. I had friends who were old enough. So what would I do? Oh, buy me a pack. Oh, uh, of cigarettes. Oh, I'll just, uh, I'll bum one of your cigarettes. I'll, I'm really jonesing for a smoke. Let me just take one of yours. So it got to a point where I was smoking. And then because I had a job, I'd buy a pack. I'd smoke, smoke, I'd smoke. Like, and then because I couldn't smoke weed, I started drinking. I never liked alcohol. I never liked how it made me feel, but I did it because I was like, I want to feel something. Like, I can't do that. So one incident, I'll sum it up. 
I was uh, I was at a hippie commune in Calistoga with uh, I'll say acquaintance because I said we were friends at the time, but more of an acquaintance. And as I mentioned, I did dance. I was a dancer, so it was with one of our younger ballet teachers who was there too, which was interesting. So a lot of her friends were at this party, and you know I couldn't do that. And I remember what triggered me to start drinking heavily because I started smelling everyone smoking a joint around me and I got mad because in my mind back then I was like it smells so good I'm so angry I can't have any so this guy had some sangria just downed it so much I don't even remember how much I had to be completely honest with you but many many glasses possibly half a bottle and I'm a lightweight too so it does not take a lot for me to be gone and we went there initially because this acquaintance and ballet teacher were performing a piece there so I'm sitting there trying to film them drinking a chorus light just messed up like not even being able to stand up straight this acquaintance had to kind of help me from falling over because I was I was sloppy drunk and I remember the instance before I blacked out which is what still freaks me out I still don't remember most of that night I remember the one before I blacked out I brought a huge jug of water because I knew that I was going to be drinking heavily and I didn't want to get dehydrated because even though I was irresponsible and uh, young and uh, really mindless, not really thinking straight, I did come prepared, you could say. But this acquaintance took away that jug of water, so I didn't have it with me. I don't know if she just thought I was going to, like, lose it or something. So she put it in the tent. I remember I started hiccuping so badly because of how fast I was drinking earlier on. And so they laid me down on this lawn chair and they were freaking out. And really after that, I just, I blacked. Like, I don't really remember anything that happened. And I think that was around 11 or so until like 4 a.m. the next day. So according to this acquaintance, they said that I was so messed up. This was the first time I did coke. I didn't know that I did it. They thought I was going to die or get alcohol poisoning. So she gets our ballet teacher's friend to give me what they call a bump of coke to kind of revive me. This still freaks me out to this day. Cause I'm like, how many people go through this? They don't know this happened. Like at least someone told me, but it's still freaky. So along with that, she said, I kept getting so hyped up. Like she would try to put me down to, to, to go to sleep in the tent. But every time she'd leave, I'd kind of sneak out and run back out to try to socialize with people. Cause I'm kind of introverted. So all this, I'm like, oh, I feel like I can just say whatever I want, just talk to people randomly. The only time I remember coming back after those hours is standing in the middle of the field after everything died down, smoking, like, I think it was my last cigarette in my pack, talking to this woman I've never met before, like, deep in conversation. And I came back, and I'm standing there like, how did I get here? What is going on? I even agreed to drive this girl home who, who was my acquaintance. I was too messed up to even do that. I had to sleep in because I, I was like, if I try to drive home, we're going to crash. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, like, contrary to popular opinion, maybe you just smoke marijuana, but it can get you into a lot of dangerous situations. J more than just that. Even if you don't do it later on, you might think about doing other things. So. That was one of the most horrifying experiences I had. And it didn't stop me drinking. Because um, 
then I started getting older. Later on, I had a boyfriend who was about to turn 21. He had access to that, so it was like on. And my mom always had alcohol around. When we would travel outside of the country, you know, we would have a drink with dinner, have a couple drinks. You know, she taught me how to drink responsibly, so to speak. When I was 17, but she did it legally in China. Because mm. in China, if you're 17, you can drink with an adult. But, um, yeah, there were just a lot of very sad experiences I remember because of the substances I decided to do. Um, and to go back to like all the psychedelic substances I did, I think the danger of that is when you're already trying to find, I didn't know this, trying to seek the Lord Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. you know, know who he is, but you don't know where to start. You think you can do it by the little bit that you know, which is really nothing at all. You start getting, I guess what you call false revelations or you get, what, what do they used to call it? Um, you, start, you start feeling like you have enlightenment. You know, that's what people in this kind of weird bubble of, you know, the old Babylon kind of religious practices would do. So this got me into a lot of dangerous things. As I mentioned, my mom was fine with exposing me to like witchcraft and things like that. But she also did yoga when I was little. She even said that she was at one point a Buddhist Christian. So, you know, she even has the weird boxing that she would pray to still. Um, so to me, these things were perfectly fine. I got to a point where I was what you would call agnostic because I knew that there was a higher power out there but I likened it to I would call it the universe as a lot of people in this community would so it it wasn't just that simple it got extreme because whenever I would commit to something that included the promiscuity you know or we could we could be honest you know the whoring that it would do just being all out there smoking marijuana drinking heavily if I was going to do something I went all in I did not hesitate I would commit fully so it was it was a lot of stuff you know I would meditate for hours a day I would do yoga for hours a day um back in my dance history I got such a bad back injury it's called a herniated disc that later on when I started getting into this stuff the doctor told me I couldn't dance anymore so in my um awareness yoga was like the solution when I got the first uh back injury actually a couple months after that March 17th when I was 16 so I think it was 2015 my legs completely stopped working they went completely numb and I was in the hospital for three weeks my mom actually thought I would never dance again never walk again I I'm not gonna say it was God but from where it seemed and for the fact that not only can I move, walk, but after that I was able to still dance, I was able to get back on point in ballet. I would say it was nothing short of amazing, but I'm not going to try to chalk it up to God because I don't know for sure. So 
yoga for me was like a solution to kind of find a way to move without dancing. So I started working at a yoga studio. I even almost became a yoga teacher. And what actually stopped me is I joined the teacher's training like months late because I was kind of going back and forth as if I should do it. And I decided, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm not really understanding what's happening. If I want to do this, I'll do it at the start of the program. So I kind of opted out. Um, but yeah, I was still doing all this stuff even when I left the studio. It got even more extreme. I, uh, I actually started practicing witchcraft and I didn't know that I was practicing witchcraft. So it would be things like, like meditating for hours and hours on end, uh, trying to reach what in this community they would call your higher self. Because in this particular community, it's worse than just idolizing a false god, but you place yourself on that pedestal and idolize yourself. So you commit self-idolatry. You start worshiping yourself. And the more, the more into it, the more like extreme it got, you know. My name's Thea. It has dual meanings. I've renounced one of the meanings that my mom constantly and reinforced in my life. But she always told me my name means goddess, okay? So running with that, even though I... Uh, I uh, claim the meaning beloved by God because my name comes from my father's middle name, Theodore. That's what I claim. But that's what I would kind of go by. Oh, well, my name means goddess. So this is what I am. And it was, it was bad. Um, I had crystals. I would use them to meditate to try to amplify what they would call your chakras. To sum it up, uh, it's like an inversion of the rainbow. Uh, because, you know, like the rainbow, it's like red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, purple. But with the chakras in your body, it starts at the base of your spine and it goes up to the crown of your head. There are other things that they debate, but these are the main ones people address. So it's red at the bottom, orange, yellow, green, purple, all the colors that I mentioned, but starting from the bottom, going to the top. So the whole way that they told you to be able to reach your higher self was to open your chakras, which means activate them, which they would always say is like a portal. And it is, it's a portal to the spiritual realm, but not to what you think or what you're being told. Mm -hmm. um, to basically open up communication with very, very bad spirits and entities. And it went as far as not only was I attempting that, I was trying to acquire what's called the Kundalini spirit mm. or the serpent spirit. I've heard of that before. What is, what, is, what is that again? I've heard of the Kundalini, something like that. Okay. So they, they don't tell you this, but in yoga, they actually have many poses that try to activate that within people, but most people aren't even aware of this. So that's mm. what's terrifying. But when you intentionally do this, essentially what happens is the serpent is supposedly coiled at the base of your spine. They tell you that your higher self is the light being and your uh, shadow self is the dark side of you, the evil part. And you have to balance both of these. That's part of where the yin and yang comes from, you know, where it's like the white with the black dot and the black with the white dot. Mm. 
it's kind of this idea of balancing the good and evil in you, which is not no. So the goal of this is when you open all of your chakras and you align them to where they're all properly balanced within your body, this spirit will slither up your spine and uncoil itself and ultimately break through for you to have ultimate enlightenment. Like, you know everything, you, you, you get, like, revelations and, like, understanding of stuff that you can't explain. Mm-hmm. A lot of these practices made me believe that I was a psychic, made me believe that I was what they called an empath, where you could feel people's emotions, and you could, like, feel them deeply within you, exactly what they're feeling. So, so that's the goal of it. It's, it's The goal is to ultimately reach what they call your higher self. You have all knowing, all understanding, as if you're a god or a goddess, which is a lie, because it's all lies. So I did everything I could. I meditated as much as I could. I had certain uh, uh, mudras, which are hand symbols. People don't understand this. Hand symbols can invoke certain, open certain doors to certain, like, evil entities. So there were certain hand symbols you would do that would activate different emotions, different uh, properties, different chakras to open them up. There were even ones specifically for things like prosperity, wealth, health, happiness, like it was extreme. So I was obsessed with this. And this is what still amazes me to this day that it didn't fully manifest in me because I have no idea where I'd be right now if that was the case. Mm I remember, I can't remember the day or the time because honestly, everything's frazzled. This is kind of what I think this and this sort of uh, community does to you. It kind of, it, it makes you very confused. It makes you kind of be comfortable with not knowing everything, but thinking it's good because you'll finally learn it somehow. One night, um, I had meditated for a long time and I was just, asking what I thought were like my spirit guides, my ancestors, this belief that you can talk to dead people, essentially, who are in the ground, you think you can talk to them. I remember I started convulsing very violently, like thrashing in my bed. Like, you know how in some of those uh, horror films? Like, is it when people are holding and then they're going crazy on the bed and stuff like that? You, you, You used to do that? it was one time that it happened one time one not time. often but oh, it, so was it wasn't like when... it wasn't like you were purposely doing it it's like something yeah. took control of you yeah something was trying to like take control of me and i think what still freaks me out to this day is i i still remember the feeling of this i don't know the serpent spirit mm-hmm. crawling up my spine like you really felt a serpent crawling up. So you you was um, deep into this witchcraft stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was actually getting kind of excited, but I was terrified. Like mm-hmm. I was horrified. If I had really bad control of my body, I might have like peed myself or something. Like that's how terrifying it was because I, I guess this, the safest way I could say is I almost felt like I was possessed. I very well could have been. I just didn't realize it. But um, it started crawling up my spine. 
I felt it like carving its way and I was getting excited like oh it's finally happening all this work I've done this is just let it happen like it's terrifying you but but you know this is supposed to happen like everything has a, a a reason like this is like your destiny like I was kind of doing what they call affirmations mm, yes. um so kind of affirming the things that are happening like justifying it it actually ended up stopping crawling up my spine right around the area where I have my back injuries it just stopped like it was that intense I was like trying to hold on to my bed because I felt myself like moving around I mean there were times I tried to uh, get myself to levitate it was that crazy you know I was really deep into it I had witchcraft books I was almost going to study them but something stopped me from reading in them too deeply there were videos I watched I watched tarot card readings I almost started getting into tarot card readings giving them myself something always prevented me from doing that and it stopped at the base of my spine and nothing really that crazy ever happened again but yeah and it's painful to think about the desperation you have for those kind of spiritual experiences that are I believe that it's demonic you know I really do just thinking about the kind of situations I continually allowed myself to be in a really a really toxic relationship for about three years just constantly being told by this pendulum What's pendulum? Is, uh, okay, a pendulum, uh, it's usually like a crystal triangle that is usually on like a, a chain mm -hmm. or some people would wear it around their neck. And the, the reason for people using it is to basically get guidance from what they believe is their spirit guide, ancestors. I even thought it was talking to angels. It was like that. Some people can, they say you can program all these things that are crystals and basically tell them what you want it to do, like speak to it. So I programmed this particular pendulum I had to answer yes or no questions. So what people tell you to do is you have it in your hand. And please, 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 I'm asking no one do this. Do mm. not do this. This is a stark warning. You will deeply regret this. You may be happy for a few moments. It, it will destroy your life. So I basically, when I got this and I was in the crystal shop, I asked the um, pendulum, what, what is no? Show me what is no. And it went a certain direction. It went uh, counterclockwise. Show me what is yes. Uh, clockwise. Show me what is maybe. And it went side to side. So in my mind, if I saw any of those different directions, I could determine what answer I was getting. Um, so I would often consult this pendulum, basically saying, stuff like talking saying oh i want you to answer angels answer spirit guides all that stuff like show me what i need to know show me the answers i'm asking i'm seeking give me understanding all that stuff so i would go to this constantly asking stuff like oh am i supposed to be with this person am i supposed to marry this person am i supposed to stay around all these silly questions oh am i gonna i was obsessed with money too like being rich because i thought that's what i could do because a lot of people in this community would say oh if you work hard enough you'll you'll become rich you can manifest it that's what they would tell you so i was constantly consulting about stuff like that and it would tell me yes it would tell me maybe it would tell me no but then it asked oh what about in a couple weeks a couple months it'd say yes so it kind of convinced me to continually do this stuff now for all i know it could just be centrifugal force like it could just be like a pendulum like spinning because my hands kind of move in 
I'm not going to try to claim that there were like actual demons and stuff like controlling it because I don't know, but it definitely convinces you of stuff that's really out there. And, you know, in this time I was obsessed with horoscopes and not, you know, wicked fable of a belief. I was a so-called Libra. I went as far as to mark my body with that symbol. Uh, and I have more than just that. So this kind of uh, lifestyle leads you to do stuff I wanted to do when I was a kid, but it encouraged me more so to, okay, yeah, I should do this. It's, I'm, I'm going to adorn my body. My body, it's going to be art all over my body. It's going to help me express myself. All this, you know, gibberish, this silliness. And it led me to stay with a person, not from what I'm saying, I'm saying technically, unless you're married, someone can't really cheat on you. Mm-hmm. But in my understanding, then he was cheating on me. Mm-hmm. He, ne- As far as I know, he never actually fornicated with someone, but I could be none the wiser about that. He totally could have, and I might not know. You know, he even lived in my mom's house. She never let him live and like stay in the same room in our physical house, but there was like a little studio in back and he would live in there and I would stay in there with him. So she kind of like condoned that mm-hmm. behavior. And then again, it was fine with her because she had a boyfriend doing much of the same thing. So really, what could she say? I'm a legal adult. I'm in a committed relationship. So it's okay, mm-hmm. essentially. Um And, you know, I'm really grateful for the fact that I finally, finally, finally broke up with this person for the last time, because it wasn't the first time. (laughs) Just the desperation for physical touch and affection and feeling like someone cares about you, but can they really care about you? They don't care about themselves, let alone God. Um, So yeah, finally got out of that situation. But I was still starving for love for someone to show me respect and I was so much so looking for that that I was trying to find it in people who you know I'm not going to say they aren't men but they acted childish Mm. we'll say um and that following year what year would would that have been 2020 I'd say I was finally no, 20. No, it had to be 2021. 2021. 2021. Yes. Um, because I broke up with him in November 2020 on his birthday. Um, I had to do it. I was like, I'm not going to wait any longer. I gave you plenty of time to get it together. You did not. But it was amicable. Um, I was finally kind of realizing, I don't know what's wrong with me. This whole hubbub. For me, it didn't fully work in the, in the ways of making a lot of money and being successful and, you know. Um, so I was kind of at a point where I'm like, I don't know, this isn't working. But a part of me still wants it to work. So I wasn't fully willing to let it go at that point. So I was still kind of inculcated, you know, and at that point, I'd also been vegan for many years. And that's another similar thing that a lot of people do in that. So I was vegan for about five years from 17 and I stopped it right before my 22nd birthday. So about five years. Um, finally, that 
end of summer of 2021, I broke down. I was at a point where I was like, I need to stop running from God, but I just don't know how I'm supposed to run towards him. You know, because what I knew was what I grew up with, but I knew in my heart that wasn't what I was ever going to go back to. But I still didn't have any really understanding, you know. So through this time, I can't say these people intentionally did it, but there were various people who I thought were telling me the truth. I thought were helping me understand who God was. And they were continually, they were deceived in a certain way. Maybe certain things they said were the truth, but overall they were deceived. So they were sharing that deception with me. You know, there were points where somebody told me, you know, the lie that, oh, if God's a loving God, why would he make hell? Or I had people tell me stuff like, oh, if, you, if once you're saved, you're always saved. All you have to do is believe that Jesus is Lord and repent of your sins and hopefully get baptized. But that doesn't really matter. Not really specifying about if you need to get baptized in his name, Jesus Christ or Lord Jesus or with the title. So, you know, I mean, I had one person specifically say who I, who I thought at the time was going to be my husband. Thank the Lord he was not. I would have been in a really bad predicament. Um, tried to convince me to specifically seek a Pentecostal church. And I was like, that's weird. Like, I don't know why it has to be that. Like, you you do that. But I, I don't really understand why I should do that. So for a long time, I was like, I know sort of, kind of, you know, about Jesus. I don't really know who he is in association to the truth or about God. I didn't really still at that point fully grasp the fact that they are one. Everyone is one. You know, there's one God, only one God, no one above him, no one below him, no partners. Like I didn't get that. So I still was in the understanding, oh, well, Jesus Christ, it's his son. Like he has the same power as him, but he's like the son of God. I didn't, I didn't really understand that. So ultimately, months of praying, asking the Lord, please, I don't want to go into a false church, a church that's lying to me, that's telling me to do the wrong things, leading me to do the wrong things. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to do this. I had feelings in my heart. I don't really feel like I'm saved. I don't really feel like I'm saved. Something's wrong. Like, why do I not feel like I'm okay? Why do I think one moment, I'm okay. The next moment I'm going to go to hell. Mm. Like, why do I think that there can't be just a random reason for that? Mm-hmm. So that's what terrified me too. Cause I was like, I, I don't think I should feel so unsure. So like freaked out all the time. And, um, I, I don't, I don't know how, for, I mean, I can move forward, but I, I would rather you <laughs> ask the question cause I've been going on, but yeah. You see, you had a, you have a question to ask? No, no, no. I, 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 uh, I don't want to keep going to. No, to no. Your, the... Like your, 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 your testimony is just wow. Uh, <laughs> no, keep, keep on going. It's, it's, it's. You're one of those testimonies where it's like, my, what, what did you not do, or what were you not in? You know. Um. But hey, hey, hey. It's, it's, it's past That's a life. Good question. That's I a mean, question. it's, it's the, it's the past life and. I'm just sitting down. Like, as you can see, I'm moving time. I'm just like, I, I, every time you finish with something, I'm thinking that's it. And then there's something else and, then, and another thing. But you know, California, Cali, oh, Cali. Hey, 
Kali, Kali is Kali. But no, no, please con- continue. It's, a, it's wild out here. I mean, there's a reason why the people who party and do the things that are commonly done in the state, in the area I am, call it the Yay area mm-hmm. instead of the Bay area. Because everyone gets, as I used to say, turned up. Like mm-hmm. everyone gets wild mm-hmm. over here, you know? So. To kind of bring it to the most recent past, very recent past, working for a church, I called a few churches, their answers were very unsatisfactory. I just was like, this minister or whoever, just he just seemed so nervous for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. You know, I understood we're in a pandemic, so certain things they were not sure of, like, because I specifically straight up asked and said, okay, well, what if I want to be baptized? Mm-hmm. And one of the ministers said, well, you know, I don't know. We have to make sure you're not sick. And I was like, okay, so if I get baptized, do you want me to wear a mask? Or, you know, what's the situation? He goes, I don't really know. No one's really asking about this. No one's really done this while I'm, the pandemic's been happening. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. You know, I even asked if I could meet with him. He said, oh, we don't live in your town. We live in a couple towns over. So we don't come there except for the Sunday that service happened so I was like okay that's kind of tricky it's like something's not right I don't I don't this isn't the place ultimately it got to a point where I was like I don't know what to do like I really want to go to a church but I'm so freaked out I'm going to be led by what I want to do or what I think is right and not by the Lord and I didn't really know how to hear him or to really understand if I was really being led by him so I was freaked out and got to a point where I was on the internet you know as people do (laughs) and it's kind of funny because when I came across his brother I really saw I saw his usher badge and I thought that I thought that he was a Mormon so I was freaked out I was like oh no he's a Mormon I know the Mormon's like a false religion so I was like I'm not about to do that I was like preparing myself and um, started talking to me, and I kept, <laughs> you know, you, you don't realize how much of a fool you make out of yourself until you look back on how foolish you are. So I don't think he'll mind me saying his name. So his name's Brayden. His name's Brother Brayden. He's from the Atlanta Temple. Um, he started talking to me, and I just kept, he, he talked about what he believed, you know, I believe in one God and one God alone. He's our Lord Jesus Christ, God Almighty, et cetera, et cetera. But I was like, nah. I was like, I hear you, but I, I just want to like kind of fight you. Mm-hmm. Like that's like how I felt in that because I was like, I can't trust anyone. Mm-hmm. That's how I felt. I can't trust anyone, even though I'm a trusted person. So me being foolish, like I was, uh, I started quoting scripture, throwing it at him, trying to kind of uh like uh go toe to toe with him about what he was saying versus what I thought was real. And at this point I only I only read exclusively the King James version. So to me I thought that was the real Bible, but I was not sure about what the Catholic Church called apocrypha. I was kinda like, I don't know about that. Mm. So I kept throwing scripture at him, like just quoting it, thinking that I was making sense supporting my own belief and argument, but really when I look back on what I said, I'm like, oh, I really was just calling myself out being really, really, really foolish. 
looking really silly. And he finally was like, oh, well, let me, um, let me text you or, or call you or something. And so, you know, I share my testimony, long story short, he started sending me pastor's videos because I straight up just said, I don't understand anything. Mm-hmm. I don't, under, like, I don't know. I don't know what I believe even at this point. I literally said, I beg of you, like, help me out here. Like, I don't know what to do. So he sends me pastor's um, videos, like a bunch of them. To this day, he still spams me with them. You know, we're, we're good friends, but mm-hmm. he spans me. He's like, you have to watch this one. Mm-hmm. You didn't finish this one. You have to watch it. It's important. Um, I watched his, I'm trying to remember the first. Oh, okay. I know one of the first one I watched was talking about modesty mm-hmm. and women. So, you know, how there are a lot of women in the church dressing like whores and men dressing improperly. And, you know, cause I was going back and forth. There were parts throughout me trying to seek God where I was like, oh, I should dress modestly, but I didn't know what modest really was how modest to be there were people kind of arguing back and forth of oh it's okay to wear leggings oh it's okay to wear like you know things where I'm like I don't know about that and I kind of went back and forth my mom kind of went back and forth oh well as long as you wear a bathing suit but you're fully covered it's fine as long as you fully covered meaning your torso but your legs are bare your arms are bare you know um had issues going back and forth oh what about tattoos what about you know because I have them and I was like I don't know I mean I feel bad about it but I don't know if it's okay. I still don't get it. I knew about a scripture, but I didn't really have understanding. So I watched that video of pastors and I was like, wow. Wow. I was like, I really didn't feel offended because at a certain point I was kind of like, I mean, you're right. So why should I be mad? Like you're calling, but you're calling me out. Like I'm shocked. Like you're calling me out. Like nobody's told me straight up. That's what I'm doing. You're going to just check me right now. Like this is a lot this is a lot but I was I was hooked I was like if he's talking like this and he's so unapologetically speaking the word of God as it is not changing it not putting his own opinion not even writing out sermons which he talks about all the time you don't write out sermons God's gonna guide you to do that I was like this is this is amazing I was like I really respect this man like so much and so as soon as I could I think after I think I knew about him a couple days and what ended up happening actually is I was off of work at this point in time earlier this year I was actually (laughs) working at a winery okay uh I wasn't actually serving alcohol but I was expected to taste it I was expected to tell guests about it I was expected to help sell it so I wasn't directly pouring it or anything but I was they had me doing a lot of stuff that I was like, I don't want to be here. But I didn't realize fully why I shouldn't be there until I started learning about what pastor was teaching. So I had been off. I, it was like my two off days that week. And it was the last off day of that week from that job where I was like in the bathroom about to get ready for the day. And I coughed like really, really hard. And I felt my back go out. Like I felt it go out. Like it was like just some of the most excruciating pain I've ever had in years. The last time I had a flare-up from my back was when I was 19 and I'm 20, 23 now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was terrified because it was, I was bent over and I couldn't bend forward. 
but it was okay. I could bend back. So I was like, oh, it's probably, I probably pulled something or I probably like just something's tight in my back. So I stretched my back backwards, which was a horrible idea. Because then I bent forwards again. I couldn't bend forward anymore or backwards anymore. I was kind of like hinged like this. Like this is how my torso was. So I was walking around the house trying to like ease the pain. It kept getting worse the more I was moving around. I was like, mom, like something's wrong. Like I live with my mother. Something's wrong. Like I was like, I can't even move like even like a centimeter forward or back. They got to a point where I was hunched over so bad. I was like groaning. And I have the high pain tolerance. So I was like, I knew something was bad. I couldn't even crawl onto my bed. I had to kind of just flop like a fish, like kind of just drop down. I was laying there for like hours. My mom thought the pain would go away. And she tried to actually put my legs up on the bed. So I wasn't like using a bunch of like leg muscles. Because to, to a certain point, I was hanging that way for so long. My legs fell asleep. She tried to move my legs up onto the bed. It hurt so bad. I started sobbing, like tears streaming down my face. That's how bad it hurt, which never happens. I'm not a crier. So she was like freaked out. She calls 911. Not 911. She calls uh, the, um, the uh, what's it called? The nurse for the specialist, the back mm. specialist I had, because that's what we did last time when something went wrong. Mm. She says, oh, you should go to the ER if it's that bad. So we called our like medical insurance provider and we kind of asked them for help mm. to get an ambulance there. I had to go to a different uh, city because the ER in my town it's such a small town. They don't know how to deal with stuff that's mm -hmm. specific like that. But they told me that they couldn't give me what they gave me before when I had something like that happen, which is, goodness, I always get this wrong. It's either a cortisone or cortisol shot. Mm -hmm. I can't remember which one of the two because I always get it wrong, so I'm saying both. They told me they could only give me what's called like pain management or something. And I was kind of worried it wouldn't work. But I was like, I have to take it. This is what I'll get until I see my doctor, which is like the Friday. Couldn't see him, so I Aside from the point. Went to the ER, the EMTs brought me in. I felt so embarrassed too, because I was wearing like house clothes that I didn't know you should still dress, you know, relatively modestly at home. Mm -hmm. So when they picked me up, I was still wearing like some of my old style clothes. Like I had basketball shorts on and like a shirt or something. I felt so embarrassed. I felt so exposed. And I felt uncomfortable. And, but they were helpful. They, like, helped to lift me onto the gurney. It was horrible pain, though, because they had to put me on my back. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the EMT was asking me about stuff because I had my, uh, I got this a while back, but I have a Jesus is King mask. But a part of me knows now, like, it's not specific enough because there's more than one Jesus. But um, it made him ask me, like, oh, are you a Christian? And it was the first time I said to someone, like I was trying to remember the right way to say it. I was like uh I walk in holiness that's what I said to him you know because I was like is that the right way I think it is I think it is and he he was asking me about it and I said well I don't really I, I don't know how to explain it but like that's what I believe is in holiness not not in Christianity but in holiness it's like very different and I couldn't explain it well enough but he kind of got the, the idea he's like oh I hear what you're saying that makes sense he received it pretty well and, um, you know, I got to the, to the hospital. I was waiting in the waiting room for a while. They didn't have a room for me, so I had to be in the hallway. 
and it took them a while to get to me. Finally got the pain meds. I'm, I'm jumping through this because some of the stuff isn't necessary to dive, like just little details. But what I can say, the nurses were really nice. They were very caring and I'm grateful. I'm really grateful that they gave me enough medicine there and when I left to where I could actually stand on my own. Like they helped me to get back. I could actually walk to the bathroom and like support my own weight without it being horrible pain. And um, we got home. I was on a bunch of, and I was on, uh, I think, was it? Uh, Tylenol from the IV. They gave me Tylenol, Dilaudid, which is like a narcotic. So I was high and it messed me up. I was not happy about it. I was kind of upset, but I didn't have a choice. It's something else. But Dilaudid is for anti-inflammatory, I believe. And the other one was for anti-nausea because they said Dilaudid can make you feel sick. So when I, my mom showed me back, I was still kind of messed up. So I just slept really hard. And I, obviously I couldn't go back to work, which was a blessing in disguise because I finally realized I can't work there anymore. Like if I'm serious about this, I can't do this. I wanted a reason to leave since like the first month or so I started there because the job was not what I thought it was. And I'm working on a winery and I'm working in holiness and I'm trying to serve the Lord and not, you know, enable people to do sinful things like be drunk among the many other things that I experienced there that were kind of un uh, unpleasant. So when was it? I think it was uh, the Saturday. Saturday? That Saturday? Was it? I'm trying to remember the day. I think it was that Saturday because I was supposed to be back that day or something. I walk in. Oh, I think I called the manager. I said I need to talk to her. So I walk in with all my old like uniform stuff and I'm dressed modestly. Mm -hmm. So most of my coworkers don't recognize me. Mm -hmm. And, um, I go into the office, like I ask for where my manager is going to the office. And I tell her, you know, I, I have to tell you, I'm going to resign. I will not be putting my two weeks in. I will not be coming back. I just need to tell you this. So, you know, and I thought I should do, you know, the proper etiquette by telling you in person and not being a chicken and calling. Um, and I said, it's just not, it's not going to work out for me anymore. I didn't, you know, California's hiring fire at Will State. So you don't have to tell them why. Mm -hmm specifically you're leaving and they don't have to tell you why they're firing you specifically um so she you know she asked me for a left well can I give you a hug because I'm a hard worker like mm -hmm. and they were short on staff so in that regard yeah I was desired but I'm like it doesn't matter I ain't coming back you could you could pay me as much as you want to I ain't coming back no matter what mm -hmm. so that was that um and I remember that Saturday, so it must have been May, yeah, May the 14th, Saturday, May the 14th, I got onto a Zoom prayer. And because I didn't really know that there were Zoom prayers, I wasn't really aware of this. As I mentioned, my friend Braden would send them to me, and he would always, get on, get on, like, you shouldn't not be on here, get on, I don't even see you logged on, do it, like, it's going to help you. So... I got on and for the first time 
um, I started quickening. I started quickening, and I, I was like, this is interesting. Like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on right now. So I told him, he's like, oh, that's really good. The spirit's, you know, the spirit's working on you. I was like, huh? I was like, I don't understand what you mean. Because I really didn't get it. I had only known about this for like a week or so. Because when I understood the one church I went to where I knew something vaguely about the Holy Spirit, it wasn't like, right. It was a Baptist church. And they would say the spirit's like, what's word? The spirit's like moving on you or something. But it was, it kind of freaked me out because um, it seemed like everyone, it was happening to like everyone at the same time. I can't say that it was like what Pastor would say, where it's like, when I tell you to speak in tongues, like mm-hmm. you do it kind of like, I don't remember. I was like a little kid, but it freaked me out because that never happened at the false church I went to. It was like dead. Like the choir would sing. It was really, it felt sad a lot of the time, like depressing. I was like, that's really interesting. And um, you know, California's big, so um, I, I didn't realize that there was a church that was relatively close to me, a temple that was close to me, and my friend Braden told me, okay, let's look it up, there's probably one in California, where do you live, how far are you from LA, I said 13 hours, because I live in Northern California, so he's like, oh, yeah, 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 and then he said, uh, what about Sacramento? I was like, oh, that's reasonable. I'm not too far from there. I'm like an hour and a half. That's doable. Like I have a car, I can get there. So I was like, okay, you should go there. You should go there. So that Sunday I went there and the uh, evangelist there is uh, evangelist uh, Vincente Santana. And I really like him because he, similar to pastor, he speaks like, god's word without fail but he's funny you know so it doesn't feel so tense all the time he'll crack jokes he'll be like you know i hope you can understand me because he's he's hispanic he's mexican so his accent unless you aren't listening carefully some people will say oh i can understand him it's like i can understand him perfectly he's talking about the lord and even when he talks to me just normally i understand him he just speaks quickly so you have to pay attention but he's a great, great, great evangelist and minister, and he was very welcoming. He actually gave me one of his Holy Scripture copies because I didn't have one, and I was really grateful for that. Um, so after service, I was nervous because I was like, I don't know how this is. I haven't been to church in years. I don't know what to, how to feel about this. Um, they said, if anyone wants to be baptized, in the name of Jesus Christ, stand on your feet now. So I did. So I was fired. I was like, I want to do this the right way. I want to really be baptized. Not as a baby where you can't repent of your sins and really just have awareness of what you're in. Um, but to do it the right way, to do it the way pastor tells us to, as the word clearly states. And it was exciting, but I was nervous because I didn't think about bringing a change of clothes, you know? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I hope they have stuff that's going to work, that's going to be acceptable. It worked out wonderfully because they had a cap, like a head covering. And I have a lot of hair, but it fit. I just shoved it on. I was wearing a bun that day, so it worked out. And they had a... um, 
like a little I think it had like the first church crest or something on it uh gown fully long sleeve because I told them I can't have short sleeve I can't have short sleeve you know I have tattoos I have to cover all of them and I was just excited I was so grateful to God that I got to be there and experience that and it was amazing because as I mentioned before, like that following that past Wednesday, I had been on my stomach, like just laid out in excruciating pain. And I was still on my medication from the hospital at that point. I had to go with a cane. My mom was horrified for me to drive there for an hour and a half because she thought something would happen. And I said, you know what? I'm trusting in God. I'm trusting in Lord Jesus because there has to be a reason all of this happened in the time that it happened. I can't ignore this. I can't wait. I have to just do it. There's no time to waste. Got there. They had to kind of help me in because, you know, I had a cane. And um, they baptized me. And something I didn't expect was the kind of, the kind of, the kind of like relief like, you know, when you take a deep sigh of relief or you take a deep breath after like holding a lot of tension in your body, how that would feel. Mm-hmm. But then more than that, I got out of the water and I actually felt, I didn't feel any pressure or pain in my back. And I, I intentionally didn't take my medication that day because I wanted to see how bad it was. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I want to know, like, you know, how serious it is, if it's getting better. It was to the point where I could walk to my car and I was, I spent the rest of the day in Sacramento, didn't use the cane at all. My back felt like, it felt like two weeks before that, felt like nothing was wrong. Now, not to say there isn't, there wasn't soreness and stuff after that, but like after that experience to not have to walk with the cane, amazing, amazing. And everyone was so kind to me, you know, everyone said greetings and, and, I felt welcomed and like people were really interested in getting to know me and speaking to me. I I wasn't expecting that. So that was really reassuring. But when I say I was serious that day, I went and I had lunch. I went and I went to Target and I bought a bunch of modest clothes. So I didn't have any excuse to, um, not dress the way that God tells us to. And um, I already have a bunch of scarves, so that was pretty much covered. Um, and I was like, I'm just committing fully. Like, I already, I'm already on this path. I got to do it all the way. And um, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a wonderful day just feeling the comfort of a congregation that's accepting, but more than that, just really seeing in that day mm-hmm how much the Lord was like demonstrating to me, I'm, I'm happy you're doing this. Wow. <sighs> Some testimony. It's, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's wonderful to, to see how God can, uh, and what, what God can do for someone because like your testimony is like, probably five six people's testimony combined in one uh, i mean molested at the age of three became bisexual uh you were uh, promiscuous you had promiscuity uh, 
uh, got addicted to weed, then you got on acid. Uh, you said you said acid, cocaine. Uh, you said mushrooms too, or shrooms? Yeah, shrooms. Yeah, mushrooms. Same thing. Mushroom, and, same thing. And, and anything else I'm missing? I dr I drank a lot. Yeah, you drank, you, you know, drank, I, you drank I, I was a addicted lot. to nicotine. Oh yeah, nicotine, nicotine. So there was tobacco. There was cocaine, uh, uh, shrooms, uh, uh, acid, and then you got weed, and then you became a heavy drinker, and then you got into witchcraft. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And now, through all of that, all of that, you see, your testimony is another one that reflects just how merciful God is. Oh, let's not forget. You were raped three times. And as mm, you know, yeah. it's it, you were so high to the point where you couldn't really talk, couldn't really, you know, walk properly. And, but despite through all of that, like I'm talking about all of that, some way, somehow, God still find a way to give you an opportunity and a chance to get right with him. When you could reflect mm -hmm. back, on all of that that you were doing. I mean, was there more that you had to add on or? Um, I mean, I think, uh, I think something that was hard for me is dealing with the fact that the example I had, mm. my mom not really having awareness, was my own mother. Oh, and also, no, sorry to cut you off, we also had to deal with heavy depression, almost killing yourself. Sorry, keep going. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, when you have a depressed parent who's still damaged and traumatized from the pain and, and hurt she's gone through as a child and a teenager and an adult, and she doesn't know how to deal with this, she hasn't addressed it. And she's a psychologist. And then she tries to, you know, diagnose you, make you feel some type of way. As I said, I love her so much. I understand, and I did when I was seeking God. I have to honor her, and I apologize for so many of the things I did. But part of my anger was, I think, in, at times her lack of compassion or wanting to really get why I'm, like, doing all these horrible things. She just kind of assumed that, like, I liked, in her words, like, hurting her. Like many times when I did that, she's like, oh, you're doing this to hurt me. You're doing this to like destroy me. Um, I remember one time, it was the first time I got raped. Um, I didn't tell her the whole story. And when she found out some of the details of it, mm -hmm. that it was involved in some very strange things. And then she saw some messages that I sent to another guy with a similar kind of dialogue. She flipped out. And before, you know, she kind of come for me. But at this point, she kind of made me feel like I put myself in that position. Mm -hmm. I was kind of at fault for it because I kind of was suggesting for him to do the certain things he did to me. Mm -hmm. One of which, um, I'm going to just say, one of which was choking. And she, like, flipped. It was, like, the day we were buying my prom dress, all that stuff. So she, like had me leave she was cursing me out like wait till you get home I'm about to you know tear you a new one and I I'm the kind of person when I'm in a situation where someone's like freaking out 
I'm not gonna like really fight back or I'm a very like what's the word I kind of underreact to have that issue <laughs> so when she was screaming at me I just kind of shut down like emotionally so I was like there but I wasn't there so I was kind of just like sitting there like not reacting to what she's saying and it made her more angry so she starts charging at me and she grabs me by the neck and she goes you want to be choked I'll show you what it feels like to be choked and she pins me up against the glass door and she's mad because I'm not reacting I'm not trying to fight her I'm, I'm in the back of my mind I'm like I don't blog about it. if I want to I could hurt this woman but I love her too much to do that so she got so much she just pushed me down on the floor and I was kind of like dang like, if that's the reaction she has, the other times that it happened, I don't feel like it's going to be worthwhile telling her. Um, and I think something, something that's not talked about enough in this case is when you are raped or even, like, sexually assaulted or, or molested, like, it's not often, like, reported. And it's not often, like, taken seriously in the case of rape from my experience mm -hmm. by police the first time it was they wanted to go to court my mom didn't want to go to court because she was scared I would be re-traumatized mm -hmm. I feel kind of sad because a part of me wanted to do it anyway to try to prevent that from happening to any other young girls and also bring awareness to that guy mm -hmm. um the second time I went to the police because of the kind of positions I was putting myself in because the person from the cops perspective wasn't my boyfriend he was basically telling me that I could have misinterpreted this guy who harmed me who took advantage of me who raped me I took uh misunderstood how he was acting even though I made it really clear he clearly wanted to do this he clearly was intending to do this the way I explained it to the woman at the counseling center she understood it completely that you don't really wanna take what I'm saying seriously because again, it's like you put yourself in that position, which I admit, yeah, I was the one who allowed myself to be there, but I didn't sit there and tell this person to harm me. I didn't sit there and say, this is okay, do this to me. And another misconception is when you're in that position, when you're in that kind of lifestyle, people don't get, you could in one moment say, this is cool, and then later on, when it's happening, you change your mind mm -hmm. and you can tell that person, no, I don't want to do this, which is what happened. And it wasn't taken seriously. Mm -hmm. So I think that's something people misunderstand is you could be in one position where you're OK with it. And then you change your mind at a later part of that experience and say you don't want to do it. And that means you don't want to do it. It's not maybe I don't want to. Well, you can convince me. No, it's, I, I don't want to do this. So, oh, wow. I mean, that's a little, no, no, little it's, extra. It's, it's, uh, like, <clears throat> there, there's, of course, a lot to be spoken about um, amongst those things. And it's unfortunate that it's very common today for someone to be raped, molested, or sexually assaulted, and um, it's not taken serious. You know, just, you know, the fact that it happens, it's... It's a tough situation um, to deal with. And, you know, within your testimony, it, it brings up back, uh, I believe, Minister Mars on Sunday, the clo closing closing service, where, 
you know, there's things that kids go through and it's parents are wondering why is my kid, you know, acting this way? Like you try to talk to the mom, you try to talk to the dad and it's not working out. And then you see the kid act out in a certain way. And then you're wondering what's going on. And they have so much wounds that you don't know about, but thankful unto God, there is an antidote for those wounds. And mm -hmm. before you got to that antidote, what you did first was you said, you know what, let me, let me try weed. That was, that was your, your first antidote you tried to establish. Then you went to the acid, the, the, the mushrooms, the, you know, all those type of drugs, tobacco, and then the drinking. These are all antidotes that you tried, but you weren't getting nothing. You went, you thought maybe if I'm loved, if I'm touched in a certain manner and stuff, okay, yes, it feels good. That's the antidote you went after. But afterwards, you feel so trash. You feel so terrible. You're like, why? But then again, you keep going to get that antidote. And then that, you know, there was that. And then you went to witchcraft. And then these are all antidotes that you tried to get or you did go after, but it wasn't give, it wasn't fulfilling you. It may have felt good to your flesh at the moment's time, but you know, deep down within, there was no peace. Finally, mm -hmm. thanks be unto God, you, you, you've gotten the antidote the antidote to to solve your your wounds and i'm sure that there's wounds that may not be fully solved may not be fully patched up but thanks be unto god i can tell you sis you are in the right thing you are in the right way and under the correct leadership to be able to go inside the the the, the, the medical book and, you know, because, you know, for medication, sometimes you may need a bandage for this and or, or you may need to, you know, you, you need something to wrap the fingers and you may need like a little alcohol to stain the cut. You understand? It's the same way with this antidote. There's everything you need in there in terms for you to um, to build up and to get right and to stay on that holy path with God. Now, is it hard? Is it difficult? Absolutely. Yes, you went through those things. But I would lie to you and say, well, sis, because you went through those things, God's going to make sure it's easy for you in holiness. It's going to be very tough mm -hmm. for you in this way. It's going to be challenging. But for you to go through all of that and you're still here today, it's only by the mercies of God. So it comes back to my question. And before I go to the question, I know I believe further down, you're referring to when you broke the back the first time and you're in the hospital. You said you didn't know if it was God and so forth in terms of you coming out. Now, the healing part, it was God. You understand? Yes, the mm -hmm. nurses, they were doing their job, but you cannot get healed unless God wants you to. Now, was it him mm -hmm. that sent you to go do ballet? Uh-uh-uh. <laughs> that, that was on you. That, that was you. You understand? So it's just the healing process. Yes, you have nurses. Yes, you have doctors or herbalists, but the true healer is God at the end of it all. So now, mm -hmm. to close, you know what I mean? You, like I said, your testimony is just like five, six different testimonies in one to go through all of this and still be here. And thanks be unto God to find the correct antidote. Mm -hmm. How grateful are you to God for Apostle Pastor Gino Jennings? Oh, I think this is important because when I first heard him speak, it was like, I remember him in an interview saying that 
There are people who appreciate him to the point where they're looking for that old school biblical teaching, which is what I was praying for for all those months. And I finally found that in what he was so unapologetic of saying. You know, he says he's a pit bull preacher. And that's mm -hmm. true because he's not afraid to bite down and hang on until you get it through your thick skull what the Lord is telling us. And as I mentioned, I was baptized on the 15th of May, that following afternoon, um, that 16th of May, Monday, at around 3.45, I believe, is when I started quickening again. I was filled. I was filled that day. And I think what was interesting is in that moment, I realized I never would have known to do this unless the apostle Gino Jennings was commanding as God is telling us to what we have to do to really be right with God. And I was also grateful because in that moment, I finally felt what real repentance was like. I was, cause when I heard crying out to God, I thought it meant literally like sobbing, crying mm -hmm. to him. So that's how I interpret it. That's how I took it. So I was crying, sobbing, felt so much pain and shame and hurt that I hurt the Lord, that I, that I disappointed him, that I ran away from him, that I cursed him, that I blasphemed him, all those things that I did. And I just begged for his forgiveness. And I was thanking him for the place that he put me in. And I was telling him, you know, Lord, like, I'm ready to wait as long as you want me to wait to be filled because I'm going to wait for you. Like, it doesn't matter how long I have to wait. I'm ready when you are ready, I'm ready. And it was at that point where I started quickening like the hardest I'd ever had at that point. And I actually got a little worried because it, it made me flash back mm -hmm. to when I told you that Kundalini mm -hmm. Spirit was crawling up my spine, but I, but I was in that experience in the back of my head. I thought, I just prayed for this. I just asked for this, like, let it happen. Mm -hmm. This has to be the Lord. This has to be God. And um, <sighs> quickening so hard, I started going onto my back and I was sobbing and crying. I, I actually felt, well, it was happening. Like, it felt like my heart was shattering into like a million pieces. Like when the teaching Pastor Joshua was telling about um, how God's like the potter and he like makes mm -hmm. us out of clay and he can, he can um, destroy. Hold on. Um, I'm going to. So when I experienced that, it kind of made me think about what happened with the Kundalini spirit. Mm -hmm. And I realized I just prayed for this. I have to trust. I have to actually surrender to him. Mm -hmm. I have to submit to him completely. Like not just in my repentance, not just in the baptism, not just in changing how I dress the things that I am willing to hear and, and apply to my life and obey, but him, like his presence, his spirit, I have to do it. And as I said, it was like Pastor Joshua's teaching kind of touched me about how he says God's the potter and we're like made of clay. He can both destroy us and repair us. It made me think of how my heart was shattering. Like he was like destroying my heart. And then I felt this intense feeling of utter joy, like, like I've never felt before, like I've never felt this kind of like joy, like 
complete and pure happiness. And I actually, I was on my back at this point because my back was still kind of not in good condition. So I wasn't, I wasn't praying on my knees at this point. I was praying on my knees, but like on my bed in case mm-hmm. like my back was like in pain. So I was on my back and um, I, I remember my eyes were closed because I was just kind of like letting what was happening happen. And I felt this bright, like blinding light, like almost like when you look at the sun for too long, mm-hmm. but it doesn't hurt. Like it doesn't hurt, but it was so blinding. It felt like I had to close my eyes, even though they were closed. Mm. And I saw like the figure of like two hands, like the largest hands I could ever like comprehend almost like reaching out to me. And I felt like this feeling of like, peace and safety and protection and it was kind of hard to absorb because I never had an experience like this before Mm -hmm. and um I just kept crying and crying and crying but now it was like tears of joy because I just knew like in my heart like he really he really gave me this gift and I don't deserve it like I don't deserve all the mercy he's shown me, I don't deserve all the forgiveness he's given me, all the grace he's shown me, like, I don't deserve it, and he still decided to do this for me, of all people, like, I can't believe it, and I actually was quickening and speaking in tongues for so long, Um, I started speaking in tongues actually a little before I I saw the bright light, Mm -hmm. um, after I felt my heart break, Um, I was quickening for so long. The Zoom prayer had ended. Mm-hmm. It was like, had ended for a while. And mm-hmm. I was still like quickening, speaking in tongues. And it was still like hard to absorb because I'm still like learning so much about what it means. It kind of, it's it, it feels like a lot of pressure because I don't really know that much mm-hmm. still. So even though people say, oh, it's so amazing. It happened so fast. I'm like, it happened so fast. But like, I realize I'm saying now, like I have to do everything in, my, in, 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 in with assistance from the Lord to keep the spirit. Mm-hmm. Because I used to believe that once saved, always saved, but people lose the Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. Like it leaves them. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sitting here like, okay, like I'm here, but I have so much work to do. I don't know when my expiration date is. I don't know when I'm going to die. You know, by his will, I would be grateful to ma- be alive for the first resurrection. But like the goal is no matter what is to make it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like I have to make sure I do everything right from this point. Oh. Wow. Brothers and sisters and those of you watching, you have heard it. And this just goes to show you need a hard gospel. You need a hard teaching to get out of a hard lifestyle the testimony of our sister today is what many are in on an individual sense so some of you you may be addicted to smoking weed some of you alcoholics some of you just druggies try every type of drug some of you disobeying the parents some of you wanting to kill yourselves some of you going through depression some of you promiscuous bisexual whatever the case may be but here it is this was all towards one, one human being. 
And once again, this just goes to show that people could try to criticize the apostle as much as they as they want. Oh, he's Uncle Tom, he's a false prophet, blah, 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 all this type of stuff. While y'all are doing all of that, barely getting anybody to baptize and stuff like that, there's actual broken people who understand why the teaching is like this. Broken and damaged people, as the sister said, feel, feel safe now. Now they don't have to worry about a man robbing them or being under false doctrine. Now they don't have to worry, man, wh who, who, who are you, God? How many is it? Now, you know, being in something like this, it just goes to show you. So, and look, this is not to throw you all out and say, oh, all y'all going to go to hell being in the lifestyle you're in. It's just this is, this is for anyone watching and listening, whether whatever you're going through, whatever uh, 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 um, false church you're in or affirmation, whatever stuff you're in, you need something hard and real. Because in this way of holiness, it's difficult. It's tough, but it's right. Brothers and sisters, thank you very much for listening. I know people probably have to listen to this in sections and stuff like that, but it, it was, it was wow. You know, it, this, you know, keep Sister Thea in prayer. Those of you who have experience in this, you know what it's like. You know what the years progress on and, and so forth in terms of being in this holy way. Keep Sister Thea in prayer and her family as well. And hey, if it be the Lord's will, have her mom come into holiness. Before we continue to close out, is there anything you wanted to add on, sis? Or um, I just want to say if there's anyone out there who is facing anything that I've mentioned or anything even remotely similar, and you feel like there's no hope, you feel hopeless, you feel lost, you feel scared, you feel so like there's no way out except to leave this earth or, or, or to hurt yourself or to find an outlet that's unhealthy. Just know that through all that, if God can love me with all the horrible things that I've done and decide to do what he's done for me, which is a whole lot, um, he can do the very same for you. Um, and he can help you. He's the only one that can help you. And if you really want to know him and you really want to understand what he calls us to do, to be obedient, loyal servants of him, of the Lord, you need to hear apostle Gino. You need to listen to him, take what he says seriously, because he cares about your soul and whether it goes to hell or not um and you can't say that for many people so wow. there's hope and that's in god <laughs> that's in jesus christ that's 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 very wonderful to hear from you sis especially after you know all that you went through but you've heard it you have all heard it those of you, I mean, how much more do you want? What else do you need? And the thing is, a lot of the things that she went through, not a lot of people make it out. There's a lot. There's not. Not everybody makes it out. So I don't want you to feel encouraged. Oof, she went through that. I mean, let me do my thing. Let me let me get crazy. And, you know, maybe the Lord will, will deal with me later on. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Not everybody makes it out. Remember that. You know, so don't forget. Keep Sister Thea, her family in prayer as well as mine. 
me and my family as well as uh you know my goal is we're just we're just striving holding on to god's unchanging hand don't forget to keep the apostle and his family in prayer as well as the faithful ministering brethren and their families as well and also let's not forget to keep one another in prayer brothers and sisters thank you for listening it's your brother son and of the atai podcast once again if you need to contact me whatever the case is all the links are in the description below Brothers and sisters, don't forget, or those of you watching, don't forget if you are looking for a first church to attend, you go on the truthofgod.com, click locations, see the location that's closest to you. And same thing for baptism. If you want to get baptized right in the name of Jesus Christ, you go on the truthofgod.com, click locations, um, contact the, the closest location closest to you. And Lord will, that baptism could be set up. And here it is. You go down in water in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening all. God bless and peace be unto you.